Hello. 
Even when I don't see it, you're worth 
Yes. Prayers have been answered. People have been set free. And we will see the Amen. fruits of that in the, in the near future. I believe that by faith. But right now, I want this to be a moment of reflection as we enter in and we get ready to participate in communion. Let it be a moment of repentance. Let it be a moment of, of reflection of what Jesus has done. As we get ready to take communion, the ushers are passing out the elements right now. Let's go into that chorus one more time. Kingdom come, your will be done here in heaven. Spirit of God, for fresh orders, we need your freedom like some of us did this morning that night when jesus gave of himself he gave his body it was to reconcile us into relationship with god so that we can walk in wholeness we can walk in freedom and we can walk the way god created us to be god thank you for your body thank you that you were pierced for my sin thank you that you made a way for me to walk in redemption with god thank you and this, and this morning, we remember that. This morning, we remember the price that was paid over 2,000 years ago as we, as we come to Resurrection Sunday and we celebrate and we remember Jesus. This is a holy moment and we don't want to rush through it as you've met us here this morning. You've set people free and we remember that your body was broken so that I can walk in freedom. Your body was broken so that I can walk with God. Let's take the bread this morning. In the same way after supper, he took the cup saying, 
this cup is the covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. God, thank you for the blood, the blood that covers all, the blood that washes my sin as, as white as snow. God, thank you for the blood, the blood that brought redemption, the blood that brings reconciliation, the blood that changes and brings freedom, God. Thank you for the blood, the blood covenant that we have with you. Forgive us of our sin. Let, let, let all that we've done, God, erase the guilt and condemnation that we walk in. Forgive us. In Jesus' name, let's take the cup together. Thank you, Jesus. God, we worship you in this moment. We worship you in this time. God, we, we, we ask that you move in our service. You continue to be present at the preaching of the word. God. You move in power. In Jesus' name we pray. And if you agree with that, say amen, amen, amen. Why don't you greet somebody, tell them hello this morning. Welcome to service. Thank you, worship team. I want to welcome everybody watching by live stream. We're so glad you joined us this morning. And everybody here in person this morning, we're so glad you're with us. I want to welcome you to service. We're glad you decided to be with us this morning. For those of you who don't know me, if this is your first time here, I want to welcome you. My name is Josh. I'm one of the associates here on the staff at Life Church. We're glad you decided to be here. And if this is your first time, for all of our newcomers, after service, you can visit the Welcome Center. We ask that you sign a Connect card. We've got a special gift for you, a free gift. Everybody loves free things. We want to give you a gift. We want to help you get connected, help you find your place in the kingdom, in that special fit in our church. So visit the welcome center. We've got a special gift. We ask that you fill out a connect card. Also, I want to let you guys know that we have a serve opportunity. So we've got an opportunity. We are mobilizing a creative ministry team, a creative media ministry team. That's a mouthful. But we're, we're, we're mobilizing a creative ministry media team. And this is going to be a team that it's not just working the sound, not just doing those things, but we want to begin to incorporate media into our services. So that looks like videoing testimonies. That looks like sharing testimonies, putting those things together. Hey, there's a lot of things that go on behind the scenes as it relates to creating files and, and, and videoing testimonies. And we want to begin to do those types of things. So it's an opportunity if you're interested and uh, you want to find out more, you can visit the Welcome Center, sign up. Just because you sign up, it doesn't obligate you to do anything. It just means that you have interest and you'd like to find out more. There's going to be several roles that you play. You may not be on the front line. You say, I just like to be in the background, and but I'm good with this and that. And so we want to utilize your talents and we want to empower you and mobilize you. Also, I want to remind you guys about April 23rd, we've got the men's breakfast at the Coffee Depot. That's going to be at 8 a.m., so this is going to be a men's breakfast. It's going to be a great time. We come out, and we do what men do. You know, we drink coffee and talk about things. <laughs> Maybe one day we'll get to play with guns because that's fun, too. That's what men do as well. However, also, I want to remind you, 
that Sunday, May 1st, so we've decided that that's going to be a celebration Sunday. So that day we're going to have uh, water slides, we're going to have fun jumps, we're going to have uh, burgers after service. We're also going to be doing baptisms on that day. So if you have not followed the Lord in water, water baptism, we invite you to sign up at the Welcome Center. You can be baptized that day. But it's going to be a special service in that we're calling it a celebration service. We're going to be featuring our youth that went to fine arts, and they're going to be doing short sermons. They're going to be doing songs. They're going to be doing uh, certain things. So that whole service is going to be geared and tailored to celebration. So we're going to be celebrating people that follow Jesus by baptizing them in water. We'll be celebrating our young people that are gifted in, in speaking, in song, in music. Oh, come on. Isn't that exciting? Yeah. So that's going to be uh, Sunday, May 1st. You don't want to miss that. You want to invite people. We're going to be having uh, food after. You know, that's the second best thing about ministry is food, right? Hey, we get to get together. We get to eat. It's going to be awesome. And also on that day, we're going to be doing a missions bake sale. So if you, if you want to participate, you want to donate some type of food, um, you can do that, a bakery, as, as far as a baked item. If you want to buy a baked item, you can uh, visit the Welcome Center and sign up for that. Isn't that exciting? Oh, come on, somebody. Proverbs 3.9 says, honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. For all the farmers in here, <laughs> we've got boxes on the back wall for giving. We've got features on our website. We've got an app, and we've got a text to give feature. We want you guys to be afforded every opportunity to partner with the Lord in giving this morning. Hey, why don't you welcome Pastor Bob as he comes. Are you ready for the word this morning? Let me also tell you about that uh, media team, the creative media team. We want some creative people. Um, we would also like to do one of the things is announcement by video in maybe a creative way. So, uh, you know, some of you who want to try your acting skills, you know, you say, well, I, I, think I don't do media. Can you act? Can you speak? Can you, you know, make it now fun? Come on around. You can do that, right? Yeah, I know some of you can because we've done that in the past. It may be that it's not on video. It just might be a little skit to announce something. So if, you're, if you've got some creative skills or some ideas or you're, you like to think outside the box a little bit, Amen. Well, we started a series uh, a couple weeks ago, and uh, about le of the days leading up to Resurrection Sunday. And today is known as Palm Sunday on the Christian calendar. I'll never forget years ago, I pastored in North Louisiana and had a man in our church who had just come to the Lord, and he said, "Can I work with?" with the kids upstairs some and and so uh, I said crazy yeah go ahead sure man and so on Palm Sunday all the kids came down and they had these little paper headbands around their head and they had those like surgical gloves all blown up and stuck to it I said what did you do in class he said it's Palm Sunday I said that's not what it means <laughs> he said 
Well, nobody told me. <laughs> I said, different kind of palm, my friend, different kind of palm. I'll never forget that picture in my mind. All these little kids were so excited coming down the stairs, and their little hands were just waving like this. <laughs> I don't know, maybe maybe he, he was better at it than I would have been, you know. <laughs> I'd have gone out and cut down some branches or something and give it to them, you know. But the kids, I think, enjoyed that a little bit better, you know. But it's the day on the Christian calendar that we recognize the people cheering when Jesus came into Jerusalem right before the Feast of Passover. And if you're asking yourself, what is the Feast of Passover? It is a reminder of God's liberating of the people of Israel from the tyranny of Pharaoh in Egypt. And on that day, they were commanded to sacrifice a lamb and that they were to take the blood of that lamb and they were to put it over the doorpost and down the sides of the door of each Jewish household. And the blood would be a sign that to the death angel that was going to pass over through Egypt that night to bypass the household. If they saw the blood, and there are many songs that were written, when I saw the blood, when I see the blood, talk about uh, how God, God's, um, judgment against Egypt would be bypassed upon the people of God. And so, and the judgment was that the firstborn of each household would die. And it wasn't just a child, it was the firstborn of each type of animal. Uh, they, would, they would die. And it was simply proof that God's unheeded warning to Pharaoh to let God's people, the Jewish people, go for, for, to go free and refusing to listen and refusing to obey carried severe consequences. And so for the past few Sundays, we've been looking at Jesus' last days leading up to what the world calls Easter Sunday. And there's nothing wrong if you want to call it that. But over the past number of years, I've changed it to Resurrection Sunday. Simply because when you say Easter immediately comes to mind, candy and bright colors and bunnies and everything else. But Resurrection Sunday... You don't see any of that. I'm telling you, it's resurrection. It's an empty tomb that reminds us of what it's about. And the, but the interesting thing about resurrection is that it requires a death first. You cannot be resurrected without there being a death. So death must come first, then comes the resurrection. And so we're looking today at the question, did Jesus really die and why? Some people believe that the life of Jesus Christ is more myth than anything else. Stories, parables, men's stories that they came up to teach godly or good principles. Or they believe that his death was a mistake or his death was a hoax. Others don't believe that Jesus even existed. But if they do believe it, many, many people who say they believe in Jesus, they don't understand why Jesus had to die. 
So what is the truth about Jesus' death? And then let's begin by taking some time to read about Jesus' death. We're going to read several verses of Scripture. We're going to read out of the book of Matthew, beginning with chapter 27, verses 33 through 50. And it says, And they came to the place called Golgotha, which means the skull, place of the skull. And there they offered Jesus wine to drink mixed with gall. After tasting it, he refused to drink it. It was bitter. It was almost like vinegar. A very strong, very, very bitter thing that they put and gave it to him to drink. And it says, And when they had crucified him, they divided up his clothes by casting lots, and sitting down, they kept watch over him there. And above his head, they placed the written charge against him, This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. And two robbers were crucified with him, one on his right and one on his left. And those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, You who are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days, save yourself. Come down from the cross if you are the Son of God. And in the same way, the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the elders mocked him. That's the religious group. And they said, He saved others, but he can't save himself. He's the king of Israel. Let him come down from the cross and we will believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God rescue him now if he wants him. For he said, I am the son of God. And in the same way, the robbers who were crucified with him also heaped insults on him. And from the sixth hour until the ninth hour, darkness came all over the land. And about the ninth hour... Jesus cried in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And when some of those standing there heard this, they said, he's calling Elijah. And immediately one of them ran and got a sponge and filled it with wine vinegar, put it on a stick and offered it to Jesus to drink. And the rest said, now leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes to save him. And when Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. There's one thing that I want to make clear this morning out of everything that I'm going to say, and that is simply this, that Jesus and his death on the cross is at the very core of Christianity. It is at the very essence. You cannot have Christianity without Christ and the cross. It's impossible. In an era when history is being rewritten by people, people who profess to be a Christian cannot deny and the death and resurrection of Jesus and still call themselves a Christian. I will say it to anyone's face. The reason I say that is because many people today, according to surveys and studies that have been done across America, of people who profess that Jesus Christ was uh, the, the Son of God or that they believe in Jesus, when they ask him, them about his death and his resurrection, a large majority of them say they don't believe he died or that they don't believe that he died and was resurrected. They don't believe he lived a sinless life. They don't believe that he, they just don't believe. And yet they still say they believe in Jesus. We have churches today who have taken down crosses because the culture today says it's offensive to them or to others. The cross is a stark reminder of Jesus' death 
and his mission on earth. He came to pay the price for our sins and give us freedom. Whom the Son sets free is what? Free indeed. That was his purpose. And the significance of Jesus' death are so profound that false beliefs have arisen in order to explain it away so that the consequences of his death don't have to be faced. Listen to me. This is key that you understand this part of it. Why would anyone want to explain away the death of Jesus Christ upon the cross? Because the cross is a stark reminder that we were born into sin, our sin separates us from God, and that God required a perfect sacrifice that is the only way for forgiveness of sin. So the cross goes hand in hand. When I look at the cross before Jesus, when I look at the cross, I'm reminded, it's like looking in a mirror, I, I'm reminded of who I am and what I am. And the world wants to remove the cross. They don't care about any other religion. They don't care about those symbols. But the cross has become offensive. Lawsuits have been made over the years of churches that had crosses outside. And, and saying that you need to take it down. It's offensive to the people driving by. My friends, we got a cross on the top of our sign. We put it there purposely. It's lit up 24 hours a day so that the 40-something thousand cars a day that go by will see the cross. We're not hiding behind something else. We could put a dove out there. We could put a flames of fire out there. We could put whatever we want out there, and that would be all right. But the cross is the core of Christianity. So before we look at the truth of Jesus' death, I want to just examine a couple of the false beliefs that have arisen regarding Christ dying or his claims of, by Christians that he died on the cross. And the first one is this, that Jesus wasn't supposed to die. It's a false belief, okay? Jesus wasn't meant to die is what they say. It was a result. Uh, the, his death had really no meaning at all. Now, for you younger people, you will not recognize this name. But for some of you who are older, you will remember there was a time when you would go into airports and there would be people in those airports in strange garbs and they'd be selling flowers. To How many of you know what I'm talking about? And, and, and they, were, they were colorfully known as the Moonies because they were followers of the Unification Church by the, the founder, who was, his name was uh, Reverend Sun, uh, Sun Young Moon. And, and he, his, he, he taught that Jesus' death was, was a mistake and that it was never supposed to happen. In fact, he teaches that Jesus' death on the cross was not an essential part of God's plan for the redemption of sinful man. 
He, he made a statement in one of his writings. He said, we must realize that Jesus did not come to die on the cross. And according to Reverend Moon, the late Reverend Moon, he's now died and he has stood before God. And I guarantee you, he found out that Jesus Christ is who he said he was. But G Reverend Moon said Jesus was a failure and that Christ was without effect. I'll put it up on the screen. Two things he said. The cross has been unable to establish the kingdom of heaven on earth by removing our original sin. Can I tell you, my friends, the purpose of the cross was not to establish a kingdom on earth. The purpose of the cross and Christ dying on the cross was to pay the price for the penalty of our sins that we might be reunited with our creator. Not to build a kingdom here on earth. He also went on to say that the death of Christ was a victory for Satan. He said, Satan thus attained what he had intended through the 4,000 year course of history by crucifying Jesus with the exercise of his maximum power. <sighs> the problem is the Bible plainly states that Jesus Christ came for the earth for one specific purpose, and that was to die. In Matthew chapter 20, verse 28, it says, The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Jesus knew why he came to earth. He came to die to pay the price for that our sins might be forgiven. He died that we might have life. The second false claim, and this may seem strange for some of you, but is that Jesus didn't die on the cross. It's what's known as the, in theological circles, it's what's known as the swoon theory. Swoon. Now, I know you've used that word all the time, right? Swoon. So I put the definition up on the board, right? The word swoon simply means to faint to black out, to lose consciousness. The swoon theory is simple but ridiculous. It was that Jesus was crucified, yes, but he came very close to death and only lost consciousness. And then he spent three days in the coolness of a tomb and that in itself revived him and then somehow he managed to roll the stone away and appear to disciples and make them think that he was risen from the dead. Well, there's so many problems with this. I could go on all day, but I won't. But we're going to look at a few of them right away. And the first one is simply this. And that is that the beating alone for crucifixion would be enough to kill him. If you wonder how Jesus even survived to be crucified. The beating alone. Jesus was beaten with rods and scourged with a whip that had, with leather strips that were embedded with pieces of metal on the ends. And each lash was done in such a way to rip across his back. And oftentimes, history shows that oftentimes the back muscles were so badly shredded that the skeleton of, of, of the individual could be seen. And historical accounts show many people died before they ever got to crucify them. 
The torture of Jesus. <laughs> the torture of Jesus was extreme. His arms were pulled apart, nails driven through the wrist. This dislocates the shoulder. It severs the median nerve, resulting in burning pain. To breathe, Jesus had to push up the up on the nails in his feet. The bloody body drains of, of blood, causing his heart to beat faster and faster. Dehydration takes place. Look, I'm not even going to go through all of it because I used to remember hearing pastors preach about this and it grossed me out. But I'm telling you, it, is, it, was, it was extreme. And finally, at the point, at the end, the heart ruptures and blood and water, fluid, bodily fluid fills the cavity of his chest. And then there's the spear in his side. After Jesus died, a soldier threw a spear into Jesus' side and it came out blood and water, which was proof enough that the man had died. If you remember and go back and read in one of the other Gospels, it says because of the approaching Passover, they went to break the legs of the individuals because they would push up on their feet trying to get air into their lungs because they were, they were drowning on the inside. But when they came to Jesus, they saw he was already dead and they didn't break his, his legs in fulfilling a prophecy that not one bone would be broken. And they cast a spear in his side and the blood and water came out and it was proof to the Roman soldiers around the, around the cross that he was dead. And then we're told about his burial. His body was wrapped like a mummy in linen and we learn from the story of Lazarus when Jesus raised him from the dead in John chapter 12 that when Jesus called him forth he said Lazarus come forth remember what happened the body the scripture says that that his body came forth and he came like up the stairs he was, it was so wrapped so tightly in the burial garments that Jesus told the people loose him and set him free that's how rapt he was. And so if Jesus was just fainted, lost consciousness, and then suddenly came to, he's wrapped in, you know, in such a way that there's no way he could get out himself. And then, of course, then there's the large stone that had been placed over the entrance of the tomb. And unless Jesus had help and there's nothing that corroborates that there was that, he would have had to move the tomb. Besides that, there was a Roman guard that was placed, a guard, a, a garrison of soldiers placed around the tomb because the religious leaders went to the government and said, he said in three days he's going to rise. We think that people may come, his, his followers may come and steal his body and give uh, credence to that rumor. So there was a Roman garrison that was put around that tomb. So Jesus would have had to have overtaken a garrison of Roman soldiers. And their job, if you let a prisoner escape, you were put to death. And then the problem of his later appearance. He was seen by many people. And so if he just swooned and he didn't die and be resurrected in a glorious body, glorified body, then he would have had a body that was wounded and deeply broken and gashed. And, and so he would have had to have walked 
how many miles on feet that had been pierced by spikes and somehow shown up to his disciples and go, look at me, the conquering Victoria. One of the best replies I ever heard concerning the swoon theory, a lady in her church wrote into a forum that she was a part of, and here's what she said, Dear sirs, our preacher said this past Easter Sunday that Jesus just swooned on the cross and that the disciples nursed him back to health. What do you think? Sincerely, and she signed it, bewildered. And they responded back promptly and said, Dear bewildered, beat your preacher with a cat of nine tails with 39 heavy strokes. Nail him to a cross and hang him in the sun for six hours. Run a spear through his side and put him in an airless tomb for 36 hours and see what happens. Let us know. Really, just swooned. And then there's the false idea that Jesus wasn't crucified. It wasn't Jesus that was crucified. The false theory is that it was actually someone who looked like Jesus. This is known as the substitution theory. Can I tell you, this is taught in, in the halls of religious institutions who are training up ministers to stand in pulpits. The substitution theory. And this is very popular among those of Muslim belief. Orthodox Muslims have proposed that God made someone else look like Jesus and that this person was crucified instead of Jesus. In fact, in the Quran, look at this quote. Here's what it says. They denied the truth and uttered a monstrous falsehood against Mary. And they declared, we have put to death the Messiah, Jesus, the son of Mary, the apostle of Allah. They did not kill him, nor did they crucify him, but they thought they did. Those who disagreed about him were in doubt concerning his death, for, for what they knew about it was sheer conjecture, and they were not sure they had slain him, and Allah lifted him up to his presence. Now that may seem strange to you, but in, in time eschatology in the Muslim faith, they believe that that the hidden imam will come back and bring world peace and that Jesus Christ will return as his first lieutenant to carry out his orders on the earth. I have a whole teaching on that, but that's not for today. They recognize Christ, but they do not recognize him as the son of God. Now the problem with this theory, the substitution theory, is that it flatly contradicts the Bible, and it also leaves open some very big questions that must be answered. And I'll give you just a couple of them, okay? Thousands of people over that three and a half year period of ministry knew who Jesus was. Thousands of them were in Jerusalem during that time because it was the feast of Passover. It was one of the required holy days. And there were three specific ones in which every man had to go into Israel, uh, go into Jerusalem. So the city was crowded. So thousands of people had seen Jesus minister over three plus years. And many of them were in the city during that time. Wouldn't someone have noticed 
that the guy carrying the cross was not the Jesus they had seen multiple times before. Jesus' mother stood at the foot of the cross. Don't you think she would have recognized if it was her son or not? Especially the fact that near his time of death, Jesus looked at his mother and said, Mother, this is your son speaking to the Apostle John. And then to his disciple, he said, This is your mother. If he had said mother, she would, and, and that was, she, I'm not your mother. No, come on. She would have recognized her own son. If the wrong man was being crucified, wouldn't he have been yelling, I'm not Jesus. <laughs> Go ask somebody. Who knows him? We don't even look alike. And lastly, if Jesus wasn't crucified, then what happened to him after 30 AD? Because history shows his whole life. Historical accounts record he was alive and what he did and his presence, what turmoil it caused. But after his death and short period thereafter, he was not seen anymore. See, there's a lot of questions. The thing, the truth is about the death of Jesus Christ simply is this, that dying was his reason for living. So we, now we come to the part of why Jesus had to die. In the gospel accounts of Jesus' death, the different reactions by the people to me is very telling. How many of you have ever been on site of some tragedy or something like that and seen the reaction that's going on among the people in the room. I've seen this when, when I've gotten calls in the middle of the night to a hospital and there are family and friends and family members who are close are reacting one way and others are reacting another way and close friends are reacting another way. It, and it's telling. You can tell who, who, who it's impacting the most. You can read the crowd. When you think about the, the reactions of the people to the death of Christ upon the cross, most of the Pharisees and the Roman soldiers were despicable. And Barabbas, who was set free in the place of Jesus, was disrespectful. And most of his disciples were fearful. And John and some of the women who had followed Jesus came close to the cross. And they were faithful. One criminal on one side mocked Jesus and one criminal on the other side repented. But the one that stands out the most to me is the one that's found in Mark 15, 39. And it's the reaction of a Roman centurion. And it says this, when the centurion who stood before Jesus saw how he died, and that is that the sky had turned black, and that there was an earthquake, and, there were, and all of these things were taking place, he looked to the man on the cross who had just died and said, surely, this man was the son of God. But there's one more person that we overlook a lot of times when it comes to the death of Christ and his reaction. And that was the governor. His name was Pontius Pilate. In Matthew 27 and 24, 
It says, then when Pilate saw that he was getting nowhere, remember he stood before the crowd. He said, I have this criminal Barabbas, and I have this one Jesus, and I have the power to set one free. Which one would you have me set free? And they kept yelling Barabbas, and he'd say, but this man has done nothing. What, what, what about him? And the crowd just got louder and louder and louder. And that's what he's talking about here. When he saw he was getting nowhere, but instead an uproar was starting, he took water and washed his hands in front of the crowd. I am innocent of this man's blood, he said. It is your responsibility. In other words, he said, his blood is on your hands. And I think Pilate's reaction is the most common one of people who live today. What do I mean by that? It's amazing, you know. Uh, I don't go around advertising that I pastor. I'm a pastor of a church or a minister or anything like that. When I meet people for the first time, I don't bring it up. But eventually it'll come up. But I let them talk and be themselves or whatever. And at some point they'll say, And Bob, what do you do for a living? I used to say things like, I'm an educator. Or, I'm kind of a social worker. And then they would go, Oh, really, where? I don't do that anymore. I just get right to the point. I said, I'm a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Oh. And I cannot tell you how many times. I love it. They'll be drinking. And all of a sudden they go, oh. Nice. I go, hey, go ahead. That don't offend me. Oh, that's good. Who's got the peanuts? I'm, I'm telling you, this happens so many times. And, and my, my, point, my point in this is that even people that I, that I know who do not have a walk, a relationship with Jesus, they don't hate him. They don't even despise him. They're not even intentionally disrespectful, though they may use his name in a disrespectful way. But they don't even think about how they use. In fact, usually after that happens, they'll say, well, blank, blank. Well, I mean, I'm sorry. I mean, they don't know how to respond. I mean, it's just become part of them. They're not, they're not afraid of him. And when they hear his name, they don't repent and draw close to him either. Pilate, like many people today, they admire Jesus but they washed their hands clean of his blood. There's an intriguing phrase in what is known as the Apostles' Creed. You may have been brought up in a faith where you used to recite that. I know I did. Growing up as a child for many, many years, every day in school we prayed. And we would pray that. And on Sunday we would pray, or Saturday night, or whenever it was. But there's a phrase in the Apostles' Creed, and it says, concerning Jesus, who suffered under Pontius Pilate. What's interesting is that in, in the Apostles' Creed, except for the name of Jesus, no other person is mentioned but Pontius Pilate. 
No other one. I really never thought about it before until recently when I got ready for this series and started studying about this, thinking about it. And it's almost as if somehow he was blamed for the sufferings of Christ. Why pick on Pilate? What about Herod? I mean, Herod the Great was the one who sought to, to kill Jesus. Up until, Remember when he sent the soldiers to kill the babies from all the boys two and under? Why not Herod the Great? The Pharisees who sought to trap Jesus. Judas who betrayed Jesus. Judas, the Bible says, would have been better that he'd never been born than to betray the Son of Man. His, his name's not in the Apostles' Creed. Then there's Herod's the great son, Antipas, Herod the Antipas, who had Jesus flogged and crowned with thorns. And then if there was anybody that was going to make my list, it would be Caiaphas, the high priest, the Jewish high priest, who knew that Jesus was not guilty of blasphemy, who knew Jesus was who he said he was, but he prophesied it'd be better that one man die for a nation than the whole nation be destroyed. He, he knew and he arranged for Jesus to be brought before Pilate and charged with offenses against Caesar. He brought the conspiracy to the Roman government. So why pick on Pilate? Why was it that Pilate's decision was the one that counted? And that's because Pilate put his safety, his career, and his reputation first. He said, I wash my hands of it. It's on you. And I believe that's the way many people are today. They don't want to hear what Jesus did. They don't want to hear why he came. They, they just, you do your thing. Let me do my thing. I'm washing my hands of it. I've mentioned a few times about the movie The Passion of the Christ that was filmed several years ago and that how next year the, the follow-up, the sequel is coming out, The Passion of the Christ Resurrection. Mel Gibson, the producer of that movie, for those who were not around during that time, I have to tell you, you may know him as a successful actor and producer of great movies that came out afterwards that he was a part of and won awards for and things like that. But when he was in the midst of producing that movie, he took a lot of criticism from Hollywood for doing so. In fact, many people pro projected that he would never, ever work again in film. And that this would destroy any connections or networking that he had. But here's what he said. Mel Gibson said this concerning the making of the movie and what everybody else said. He said, I'm not a preacher. I'm not a pastor. But I really feel my career was leading me to make this. The Holy Ghost was working through me on this film. And I was just directing traffic. I was, I hope the film has the power to evangelize. 
I'm not saying he's a Christian. I don't know how where he stands with God. But I'm just telling you, he said, I don't care about the powers that be. I don't care about those who could strip me of, of all my connections and that I may never work in this arena. I am going to see this thing through. When it comes to the crucifixion scene, I'm telling you, it's very gruesome. The movie had an R rating because of it. Because of the violence. But in the crucifixion scene, there's one somewhat unnoticed, obscure, obscured moment that it, if you know the detail of it, it speaks volumes. I want the volume off of this because we're going to show this. I want you to watch and I'm going, then I'm going to come back to it. <laughs> that seems so obscure is that with the first spike that was driven into his hand you never see the face of the individual who did it you never get a glimpse into the heart and the eyes of the one who drove that first spike through the flesh of Jesus Christ and onto the wood. Would you be surprised to learn that the person who played that part in the movie was Mel Gibson? He said he wanted to identify himself as being guilty of putting Jesus on the cross. 
But the reason he said he never showed his face, who put Jesus on the cross, he said because it was all of us who were guilty of putting Jesus to death. It was all of our sins. It wasn't just the Romans. It wasn't just the Jews. It wasn't just Pilate. It was our sin that nailed Jesus Christ to the cross. I, years ago, my wife and I, in 1985, we started a church in a South Louisiana town called Vachery, Louisiana. It, most people know where it's at simply because Oak Alley is, is there. And we started a church down there, and, and one of the men who came to the Lord, his name was Byron. He's gone to be with Jesus now. He was an incredible world champion wood carver. The first time I went to his house, his house was filled. With my, he had deer heads on the wall and rabbits and squirrels and, and all these animal scenes and things. I mean, they were incredible. And I, but I didn't know he was a wood carver and that he had won awards for that. And I remember going to look at one of the deer and I went to touch it and the hair was not hair, it was wood. That's how realistic it was. I have a small carving in my office of a young deer and he has a few little branches like trees and it's resting. He said, this is my gift to you, pastor, and I still carry it to this day. But I will never forget, I said, this is wood. He goes, brother, it's all wood. I went around knocking on every animal. I said, this can't be. It's wood. I said, he said, you don't know my story. And I said, no. And he told me how he had won awards and accolades and competitions for wood carvings and stuff. I didn't even know there was such a thing. And he said, then he broke down crying. He says, you don't know how I came to Jesus, do you? I said, no. And he told me the story how he belonged to the Catholic Church right down the road from him. And they were, they were remodeling their sanctuary. And they decided to make it like in a circle. And they wanted to hang over the altar area, over the area where the priest would do the mass. They wanted a life-size Jesus on the cross. And he was commissioned to carve the cross and the Jesus that would be on it. And he told me how in the, he said as week after week went by, the deadline was getting closer. I was working late into the nights. And he said, as I began carving and making that body, he said, something began happening in me. He said, I can't explain it to you, Pastor. But every night I'd be out there intricately because I wanted it to be so real. He said, and, and everything was done except the hanging of the cross. And they were like, come on, tomorrow's Easter. We need him up. <laughs> and he said that night, they laid the, uh, in, out in the, behind the church, they laid the cross down and he took this human-sized Jesus and laid him on that cross. He said the, the moonlight cast it across the body down on the bayou. And he said, and I took that wooden stake that I had carved out to fit in his hand. He said, and I went up to it and I took that mallet 
he said, he said, Brother Bob, he said, when I drove that, that stake in, he said, I, I broke and I began to weep. He said, I've never wept so hard in my life as I'm hammering those things in because there's a deadline I have to do for this job. But he said, is that with every pounding and to get it into place? And then I got to the other hand, then I went to the feet. He said, something inside of me came alive and I realized that I was dead in my sin and that this was the man who came to save me and I needed to know him. And he said, and I looked up to heaven and said, God, I need Jesus. And it was there. He said, in that moment, he said, the weight that I was carrying for weeks and making that thing. He said, I realized he, he was why He was alive. He was real. And he said, my heart and life was set free. I will never forget his story. How powerful it was. He said, I literally drove. I became aware that I drove. My sins drove the spikes into his body. He said, and I prayed, dear God, forgive me. In the book of Colossians chapter 2, Verse 13 and 14, Paul writes, You are dead because of your sins and your sin, because of your sinful nature was not yet cut away. Then God, can you say then God? Then God made you alive with Christ. He forgave all our sins. Say all. All our sins. All our sins. He canceled the record that contained the charges against us. He took it and destroyed it by nailing it to Christ's cross. In dying on the cross, Jesus Christ surrendered his freedom from the pain of death that you and I might experience living from the pain of eternal death. And because Jesus did die on the cross... And he did pay the price. Then you and I have to respond. We can either do as Pilate and say, I wash my hands of it. I want nothing to do with this Jesus. I want to live my life. I want to do what I want to do. I want to, I want to have the fun I want to have. I want to, I've got plans. I've got dreams. I've got all of those things. You can either do that and say, I wash my hands of this Jesus. I will not have anything to do with him. Or you can do what my friend Byron did that night and fall down at the faith of Jesus and admit that your sins are separating you from God. But that's not enough. Because once you come to the realization, the Bible says you and I must repent. Amen. Repentance is not being sorrowful. Repentance is not remorse. Repentance means a change of thinking 
that brings about a change of action. A lot of people say, I'm going to repent and be better, do better. You can't do better until you get your, change, your thinking changed. And that thinking is that you're going to agree with what God's word says about you. That you were born into sin, you have a sinful nature, and that without a savior without a perfect sacrifice and blood applied to your life there is no forgiveness of sins without the shedding of blood there is no remittance or forgiveness of sins that's what the bible says so you can wash your hands of his blood and say oh i want nothing to do with it or you're saying i need the blood of jesus to come and cleanse my life i need to have him come into my life i need to surrender my life to him because see one day you're going to stand before god as we taught a couple nights a couple sunday nights ago Bible prophecy. We talked about the judgment seat of Christ. There will be those who have been saved and born again by the Spirit of God. You will stand and give an account of your life, but not for salvation, because Jesus paid that price. But that determines your position and rewards in the coming kingdom of God on earth. But there's another judgment that we'll talk about in a couple of weeks and it's known as the great white throne judgment and you'll stand before God and the books will be opened and every thought and word and deed and every moment and every opportunity that you had to surrender to Jesus Christ will be laid before you if you're listening to this, if you're watching this, then that, this moment will flash before your eyes and you'll remember this preacher telling you that it's going to happen one day and you cannot deny it. And if you pass on it and say, I'll wait until I have another opportunity, can I tell you nobody has promised this afternoon, never mind tomorrow. This is the moment to surrender, to come to Jesus. This is the moment to say, I surrender all. I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, that he was born of a virgin, he lived without sin, he died on the cross, he was in the tomb for three days, he was raised from the dead, he now sits at the right hand of the Father, and he's praying for me, he's interceding for me, he paid the price that I could live. If you believe that with all of your heart and you're willing to surrender today totally to Him, I'm going to ask you to boldly do something. And that is, if you're able to stand right where you're at and say, I want to receive Christ today in my life. I want to surrender my life to Jesus. If you're not able to stand, then you can just raise your hand. But if that's you, I want you to stand. I want to pray with you. I don't know everybody. I don't know where you stand with God, but I'm not going to preach about what Jesus did on the cross and then not let you have an opportunity to have your sins completely washed away. And if you are a Christian, then quit hiding it. Jesus said you don't take a light and hide it under a bushel. You put it on a hillside. It's time to be bold. It's time to let your light so shine. 
It's, it's time to let the people know what Christ has done for you, what Jesus has done, what He is doing in your life. This is not the time to shrink back. This is the time to step forward and say, I am one of His. The night that Jesus was betrayed, Peter snuck in to try and see what was going on. He says he was warming himself by the fire. And, and three times he was confronted. Aren't you with him? Weren't you one of his followers? You sound like one of them. And three times he denied him. And then Jesus caught his eye. And he remembered what Jesus had said three times tonight. You'll die, deny me, Peter. He said, but when you are reconciled, when you are restored, tell the others that they might be healed, that they might be made whole. The Bible says that Peter went out and wept profusely. Yet it was Jesus who forgave. And Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost, who stood up and preached the first sermon about the resurrected Jesus. My friends, he's the Jesus of second and third chances. But people have to know. Somebody has to tell. You tell someone Jesus did really die, and now you know why. That the world might not be lost, but might be saved. If you're able to stand, would you stand right now? I want to pray for you. I want to pray for you that when you leave this place today, you are going to be a missionary. Because see, the world out there is your mission field. Your workplace is your mission field. Your family is your mission field. Your family, I'm telling you, extended family, all your friends are your mission field. And they need to know that Jesus really died, paid the price. And of course, you probably already know I hope you do. He's not on the cross anymore. He's not in the tomb anymore. He's alive. I said he's alive. He's alive. Hallelujah. Come on. Come on, brother. Come on.
upside down with a handful of followers when they saw him raised from the dead they remembered the words that he had said earlier and they put them together and it changed them it shook them out of their comfort zone and they went out to places they had never been to take the news of Jesus being raised from the dead Paul said, I preach nothing but the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Because it is the power unto salvation. My friends, let's not lose the focus. He's alive. He died, but he's alive for a reason. And he's coming back again soon. I said he's coming again soon. Are you ready for when he comes back again to him? We're going to dismiss you, and I just didn't want to invite you to come back tonight at 6 o'clock. We're going to begin teaching tonight on the tribulation period. We're going to do the first part of it, and then next week, being Resurrection Sunday, we'll skip it, and then we'll come back the following Sunday and finish up on that. Father, I bless these people in your name. We send them forth, Lord God, in your powerful name. And with the witness of your word and spirit in their hearts, let them see as you see. Let them hear as you hear. Let them feel as you feel. And let them tell others about Jesus, the risen Lord. Amen and amen. Hallelujah.